Hello everyone and welcome to episode 8. I am your host Nathan. Today we will be talking about energy and its history. We'll start with a little timeline starting with the 1860s and moving up to 2011 and what happened in between. Okay everyone, I will be your host Nathan. Let's get started today. So let's start back in 1860. Augustine Mauchout. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, worried that the use of fossil fuels may run out. Augustine developed the first solar panel. It looked more like a satellite, though. The one on top of your house, or I forgot what it's called, but the thing on top of your house, it's a giant ring with a little stick sticking out. That was the first solar panel. Solar panels are designed to use heat and transfer that into into energy. And now we move on to November 1879. If you have, if you know what history is, Edison sent a patent for an electric lamp, also known as the light bulb. And that light bulb actually started the whole energy process here. There have been many gas lamps before this, but we're starting in the 1860s when technology progressed. And right here, when you see Edison sent a pennant for an electric lamp, that was the start of many of people trying to find electric sources. The main electric source at the moment, people didn't use electrical um, electric lamps just yet. The one, the light bulb Edison talked about, people barely use that often. They more or less use gas-powered lamps. And when you go to 1882, homes in New York received electricity from Edison's bulb. People in New York started having electricity from Edison's bulb, and now everything's lit up in New York. And now, six years later, wind power was used to generate power for the Cleveland, Oregon area. And now we're starting to know about windmills, and that's what wind power was used for. It was used for the light bulb that Edison founded, and that's what wind power was used for. Now, if we move one year later to June 3rd, 1889, the first power lines were built, which went from the generator in Oregon City to downtown Portland. And now we start seeing how technology is increasing. And you might think, oh wait, how are people already getting first, how are people getting power lines if in 1882 there were homes in New York receiving that electricity from Edison's bulb? Well, most likely, like in 1860, they probably have a solar panel, at least some form of energy to power that light bulb. Because there were not many generators in the 1880s back then. And this is when we're going to talk about light pollution. We're actually going to start with this because now we're getting into the parts about light. Light pollution is the excessive, misdirected, or obstructive artificial light that we make. And too much light pollution actually has consequences. It washes out starlight in this night sky. As you can see, there's a difference between in the city, you barely see any lights except for maybe the sun or the moon. But if suddenly you go out into a national park, suddenly there are like a million stars in the sky and that's we take all that with light pollution because the amount of light that goes in the air obscures the um obscures the sky and the atmosphere from light and too much has very bad consequences first of all yes the starlight and it also interferes with astronomical research because now we can't see them we um astronauts I mean, not astronauts, astronomers can now not see the light anymore. And the problem with that being they can't study what's out there anymore. And 
that's just going to add to unemployment. And that's all us. The light pollution is all us. Along with that, it actually disrupts ecosystems. We haven't talked about this yet. The light pollution does um, affect the behavior of animals. And along with that, light pollution poses a serious threat to nocturnal wildlife because light pollution disrupts migration patterns because most animals are following the North Star or many different light sources to guide their path in the night. And when you don't have that light anymore, it disrupts their patterns. And also with that, it disrupts many other animals' patterns because when animals see light, they go to it. That's the same thing with a moth because moths are attracted to light just like any other migration animal, but moths um, are a great example of what this is. Moths are attracted to light bulbs in which we power up at night. And that's the same thing with birds and other types of animals because they see lights in the city. They see all those city lights and they think that's their home or that's their destination. But in reality, they just smack into a building. And now let's also go to um, planes. Birds smack planes, and that may not seem too deadly, but when you see that planes in the sky, they illuminate lights from the sky. Yeah, birds go towards that, and when a bird is sucked into an engine, the engine cannot function anymore, and that basically brings the whole plane down. And that's a major flaw of light pollution. We, we have light, yes, but we've also put a lot of consequences to our actions because of that. Now let's move to 1921. We're going about maybe 30 years. This is before the Great Depression. The world's first geothermal plant is built in California. Geothermal plants are where we find heat in the earth and the subsurface of earth and this is the same concept as solar panels we take that heat and transfer it into energy these plants um these plants gather the heat from the earth and transfer that into energy so when we see that right the heat gets put into the earth the problem with geothermal there's many flaws to geothermal but there is one major flaw to geothermal in um, in specifics. Geothermal plants, they actually pose a little bit of a threat because all that heat that's released up into the air, it has some gases that come from the earth. It may have deadly gases that come from the earth. It may have more gases. Maybe it has an element that is deadly to humans and we need masks because of that. And now let's go to six years after that. The first commercial wind turbines are sold to remote farms. As you know, remote relates to the distance of a, of a place with another place, but the, the real definition of remote means you're cut off from civilization. No more people around you. It's very hard to gather things around you, except for going maybe a hundred miles back. And that's basically what remote farms are. They are very distant, but they can support themselves. And many people are given many people are buying wind turbines because since they're so remote, they need they need their own power. They need to make their own power. And when they don't have that power, that's where those wind turbines come in. Because most likely farms, they are in a flat area. They usually aren't in a forested area. And when you have all that flat ground, a lot of wind passes through it. Because in many forests, wind gets trapped in those trees. But when you don't have trees anymore, all that wind can very quickly go through. And that's why people, many people bought those wind turbines. And now let's move on to a 
about seven years later, eight years later. Yes, eight years later. The Hoover Dam was built in Arizona, being the largest hydroelectric dam in the world during its time. The good thing about the Hoover Dam, it's actually given us a lot of power because of the Colorado River. And that's the best part about a dam. It is very, very good. But the problem with that being, if the dam is destroyed, all that water that's stuck behind the dam floods through and it floods everything beneath it. And usually those villages right by bodies of water. And when those bodies of water are flooded, that village is flooded. And usually those structural failures do not happen often, yet they still happen. And now we'll move on to 1942. The first nuclear chain reaction is created. And this is during World War II, so not many people are getting a lot of money for their research. That's why we already moved on to 1942. And the good thing about nuclear reactors is they actually do give some great energy. But you have all the you have uranium in there, and we'll talk about nuclear reactors later down this video. But when you have all that uranium in the nuclear reactor, that uranium is not is radioactive. And the bad thing about uranium, yes, radioactive. If you get radioactive poisoning, then it's actually lethal. And now we'll move on to 1950. Petroleum becomes the most used fuel in the U.S. due to automobile creation. And the bad thing about automobiles is, we talked about this in episode two, it gives carbon, carbon dioxide. It throws carbon in the air. And when you have all those cars, only in the U.S. alone, and since now we've become the most, petroleum's become the most used fuel in the U.S., now we're having, um, now we're having petroleum imported more. And now that we're having it imported more, it begins to take an effect. It begins to take a toll because now we're taking down all our natural resources way too quickly and we need to stop that. And petroleum should only be used in certain cases, not as a worldwide natural resource. Now we'll move on to December 20th, 1951. If you don't know, the first nuclear power energy plant is created in, o in Idaho. And now we have nuclear power brought to us by 1951, brought to us by the U.S. So let's um, let's go down two more years. Now we have 1953. The first silicon solar cell is created at Bell Laboratories. This is a solar cell built for solar panels. And now we'll go on about four years later to the first commercial nuclear power plant. Starts operation in Shippingport, Pennsylvania. And now we have people starting to use the nuclear reactors, people who aren't part of the government, people who aren't part of the military. These are normal people who are using nuclear reactors for their own energy. And now we need to stop here to tell you about how a nuclear reactor works in order to know the how the following events occurred ahead. So nuclear power plants go through a process to where an atom is split apart and it causes a nuclear reaction to release heat and steam. And that moves a generator to make power. And the bad thing about that, again, uranium. So let's start from the beginning of how a nuclear reactor makes, makes heat. So reactors use uranium as a fuel. 
This fuel is bundled up with other bundles of uranium to form an assembly, basically like a giant rod that you put inside a nuclear reactor. And now those reactors um, use that assembly, so this assembly is dropped into water, and the heat created from the uh, assembly, from the rods, evaporates the water, and all that steam that gets pushed up is pushing a generator over, which creates that nuclear reactor. And because of the intense heat from all that steam, it actually begins to melt the fuel assembly. And when that fuel assembly turns into a liquid, because all that heat that gets thrown into the um, into the rod, all that heat that gets thrown into the rod, which melts, that reactor core begins to melt down, which is how reactor meltdown begins. And now, since liquid metal touches the steam, it causes an explosion. It, it just explodes the entire nuclear reactor, which releases all that uranium out into the world. And that's how radioactivity is thrown into the air. And that's why pe people, after a nuclear reactor is um, blown up, people tend to leave that area for a long period of time because it's not just a bomb, it's basically a radioactive bomb. And now let's move to 1960. We're back on the years, three years later from 1957. The first commercial geothermal plant is built in California, the first scale geothermal plant, that is. And now that we have more geothermal plants using the Earth's heat, it seems that now we have a population spike because we wouldn't need all that power if we didn't have that much people. But now, because we have all those people, it makes a, it has to have a lot of power in order to make sure all those people have their certain needs. And now we're gonna go to a very bad time. This is nine years later to the Santa Barbara oil spill occurs drawing the attention of the US. The Santa Barbara oil spill occurred in California. And you may think, oh, that's, uh, it's an oil spill. Well, this oil spill basically littered the entire coast of California and parts of, a little bit parts of Mexico for a very long time. And when you have all that oil, it actually affects the sea life. And we actually have a blog post on this. Go check our blog. But we do have a blog post on the sea life that is affected. And now we'll move on to one year later, 1970. Seems like a good area. Solar cells become lower in price and are cost effective. Now people are able to buy them and not just millionaires who have money in their pockets everywhere they go. People are able to buy it. Regular economic people are able to buy it, which makes sure we have a green world. Now we'll move on seven years later to 1977. The U.S. Department of Energy is formed. We have a U.S. Department of Energy now. We have many departments but now we have one for energy and this is tasked with making sure we have a green world and now that we're taking action let's move on to 1979 to where people didn't take action three mile wide nuclear accident causes people to lose faith in the reliability of nuclear power and the problem with this is as we told you when nuclear meltdowns happen they explode and it's not just a little piece of dynamite or a piece of firecracker you throw into the ground and it explodes. It's a massive explosion. It's basically a nuke. And the problem with those nuclear reactors exploding is that it litters the entire area. And that's where that three mile wide comes from. And that's when people started losing faith in the reliability of nuclear power. That's when people started saying, do I really want another explosion and maybe 
one mile from my home if this one's three miles wide. And that's when people lost faith in the in the um, goodness of nuclear power. Now we'll move on one year later to the world's first wind farm is, is built in New Hampshire. Now we have a big giant industrial land of wind farms. And this is where we'll talk about wind farms now. So wind vanes, right, or not wind vanes, but basically big industrial wind farms. Those wind turbines, they spin because of the amount of wind that goes into them. And that spinning spins a turbine. And when you have all that power from all those wind farms, it obviously powers a city. So when you have all that power going to a city, that's all green. But one flaw about wind turbines is they actually affect weather patterns because it's basically like an airplane propeller. You see how planes fly because of their lift from propellers or jets. It's the same concept basically for a wind turbine. It pushes a lot of air back. And that is a major flaw of wind turbines right now. And now we're going on to 1981 to the construction of the largest wind farm in California. We said in December 19 of December of 1980 that the world's first wind farm was born, but now we're on, we're on construction of the largest wind farm in the world. And this happens in California. And the good thing about those wind turbines, yes, it makes power, but also it changes our weather a bit. Just a smidge, just a bit, but it's basically the same thing as climate change, but not as effective as you think. It's not as effective at changing the weather like climate change does. Now we'll move on to 1986, and this is a big, this is a big one. Chernobyl nuclear explosion takes place. This was created because of a giant nuclear explosion, which basically destroyed the entire area of Chernobyl, um, Ukraine. And when you have all that, um, when you have all that um, uranium thrown into the air, and you may see this, but it's very polluted there. It's actually very radioactive, and you may see videos of it, but it's it's pretty radioactive, and people actually have radioactive poisoning because of that. And now we're starting to see the effects of us using power as a source, or natural power. Not natural power, but using natural resources as a source. Because now we're seeing, hey, are the gases, are the um, oil that we're using um, ethical for the animals that produce it and what I mean by that is animals when they decompose over the course of about two million years over the course of that amount of time they decompose into oil and when you run out of that oil it's you're, it's game over because you don't have more oil for maybe another two million years and the problem with nuclear reactors is now, look what we have here. We have another explosion, two explosions, which exploded Chernobyl and exploded parts of the U.S. And now we're starting to see, do we really want this? People already lost faith at the start, and now it looks like we're losing faith again. Now we're moving on to 1989, and like I said about oil, the largest oil spill in the U.S. waters occurs in Alaska. For some reason, someone decided to tip up their. Someone decided to have a single hold ship, and now their ship is is basically destroyed. It has put a lot of oil in the Alaskan coast, and that was a big loss for sea life again. Now, 
We're gonna go from 1971 to 2001. The first electric vehicle on commercial level, the EV1 made by General Motors. General Motors actually made an electric vehicle. That's beautiful. But the project was taken away in 2001 due to insufficient demand. People did not want electric power as their main source for cars. And I'm guessing it has to do with mechanical failure. And now we're moving on to 2007. IPCC confirms that climate change is caused by humans and is happening. Someone actually made a document, made an article about this. And now 2008, the National Bio Plant is unveiled, or the National Bio Plant Plan is unveiled. We have a plan to create a bio plant. And now these are just small little tidbits, but December of 2008, the worst coal ash spill in US history happens in Tennessee. We sprayed a lot of coal ash into the US. And it's the same thing with volcanoes. We have a giant coal just thrown over the entire earth and coal is not edible, coal is not breathable, and coal is not healthy. And yet it's still in our air. Now, 2009 of May, President Obama issues $786.5 million to biofuel funding. Obama, President Obama was trying to fund for biofuel as a greener part of fuel, and biofuel is using plants for fuel. And now we're in October of 2009 with the U.S. investing $3.9 billion to modernize the energy grid. We're trying to modernize our time, and yet we are still in a time where it seems like we haven't even modernized anything. Like, you see action, but do you really see it? That's the question. Now we'll go on to April of 2010 with the British petroleum ship exploding. This explodes around the Gulf of Mexico, releasing about 30 million gallons of gasoline into the Gulf of Mexico. And the Gulf of Mexico has a beautiful coral reef, which is why that British petroleum ship exploded. But we were actually monitoring the amount of oil that de that was um, depleted from that ship, which was the 30 million. And now they're after every oil spill, we have to have, we have to have a cleanup. And when we clean up everything, it takes a while. It's not just like a month. You have to clean up every single piece of oil in the sea. And oil is not easy to clean. First of all, it's flammable. I mean, we we know oil is flammable. But second of all, it like it pollutes not just the sea but animals. It, get, it sticks on animals and makes them unable to breathe because it's not water. It's oil. And now we're moving on to one year later where natural disasters actually affect our energy grid. An earthquake of, off the coast of Japan damages six nuclear power plants in which the nuclear power crisis reaches level seven, highest level possible. Level seven, we're at the highest level of nuclear danger because of an earthquake that happened. Damages six nuclear power plants because of a tsunami that affected that area. And it, we just need to have them more inland. We just need to have them in an area where their, stru their structural integrity is good. We just need to make sure, is that actually able to withstand something? Or is it able to be knocked down and explode in a fiery rage? And we just need to look at our times and fix what we have done wrong. And that's what we have to do. That's just how we have to fix things. And the essential question today is how can we fix things in the past? How can we fix things in the past? Well, first of all, we can fix a lot of things. We can fix, first of all, what we use as our power source. How can we fix that? Solar panels, yes, but the problem with solar panels is it's weather dependent. 
it depends on the weather because it relies on the sun's heat rays that go on the earth. And if we don't have those often, like if it's very cloudy every single day, those solar panels cannot function as intended. So we just need to be careful of how we act upon energy and fuel. And that will be the end of today's episode. It has been a long episode for sure, because we've only done 10 minutes, but now this one has been 24 minutes, and this has been a very long episode. I hope you guys are having a great day. This is Life for Life. Save a life with your life. Thank you. Thank you.